Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, so good to be with you today. My name is Ryan and I'm really excited about this episode ahead as we have Andrew Marcus with us today. Andrew's a really good friend of mine and today we're talking about worship and what it means to be a worship leader in today's culture. What does worship mean? What is worship about? It's so easy to show up to church and expect an experience from music, right? To expect that the music's going to sound the way we want it. But when you don't connect, sometimes with worship, people feel disappointed. So Andrew and I talk about this and how different influences shape what we understand worship music and music and worship to be about. And we talk about getting to the heart of worship and understanding that the heart of worship isn't achieved by having perfect sounding music. So here we go. Take a listen. Hope you enjoy this episode. All right, well, with me on this episode of In Doubt is a really, really close friend of mine. His name is Andrew Marcus, and uh, Andrew and I, we've, you and I have been friends for a long time, but Andrew is a worship pastor at Coquitlam Alliance Church. He is a singer-songwriter, and he's written multiple albums, and he has traveled the world leading followers of Jesus in worship. And Andrew's, as far as I've known him, has always been passionate about helping Christians worship and worship well. And so, Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today. I'm truly excited for this. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm really, really excited for this too. Like even, even in the time that we've been on the call already today, I've laughed so hard that I've cried. <laughs> uh, you're just very sensitive. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we've been friends for how long now? Is it what, 10 years or more? Yeah, probably. It's crazy. Yep. Time flies. Yeah, we both have young kids. Tell us about Benjamin. How old is he? He's nine months. Yeah. Like four or five days ago, he crawled for the first wow. time before he was nine months. He was eight months at the time. And mm. he's crawling now. He's walking on furniture. He's just the cutest little guy ever. Oh, We're bet. really blessed. So parenting is a joy. One of the things I want to ask you, Andrew, is what are some of the things that God is teaching you in life and in ministry? You know, you've been writing worship music for for a long time now. And what is that like now? And, you know, how has God grown up in you in, in the faith as a worship leader? I mean, God has obviously been teaching me a lot these days. Uh, I'm kind of getting like geared up to work on a new record. And honestly, every time I go through this process, I feel the same way. Tons of discouragement. Should I even be doing this? The music industry's changed so much. Is it even worth it? Spend all this money, do all this, blah, blah, blah. And so there's a lot of resistance. Uh, it's actually really cool now that I think about it. This last Sunday, I was like very discouraged over the weekend. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. And I had like five random people come up to me on Sunday morning with different stories of just how songs have ministered to them and helped them in their seasons of life. And because I mean, I write songs for congregational worship, but it's cool to see God take it beyond that. And so I was just so encouraged and reminded, oh man, I, I need to just keep pursuing, even if it's hard, even if it's expensive, even if I feel like nothing's happening. Um, and so the process begins to write and to be creative and, you know, write songs that encourage people and remind people who God is, what he's done. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the resistance now because I'm, I'm learning quickly, hey, this, this is a good resistance. Yeah. 
So what what would worship like? How would you explain worship? Like, what is worship like for you? How would you express that to other people? Yeah, I always tell people like we automatically associate worship with music all the time. That's our language. Even me being a worship pastor, we're obviously talking about music. Uh, the reality is, I mean, a lot of people know this. Worship is not about songs we sing or about anything. It's really a lifestyle. Romans 12, 1 and 2, take your everyday life. The message says you're eating, sleeping, walking around, working, and offer to God. This is your spiritual worship. This is your worship. And so we worship God in everything we do. And so worship is a lifestyle. So technically, I'm a worship pastor. I'm a lifestyle pastor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So even when we say, hey, church, why don't we stand up and let's worship? Let's just do life for 30 minutes, and then we will sit. In our culture, we just take that word and we, we use it, it not in the right context. And so for me, worship is just the Monday through Saturday as well, how we respond to things, how we give God our jobs and our families and how we worship by raising our kids. And then all that overflows into song, whether we gather or whether we sing throughout the week. And why? Yeah, I'm curious. Why song? You know, like, why song? There's that Leonard Cohen Cohen song is, I heard there was a secret code. And go it's, on, keep going, keep no, going, no, no, keep it's, going. It's too low for my register. But Can you go higher? Uh, no, it's okay. Um, he says that David played and it pleased the Lord. Right? And mm. David's known as this, like, this guy that worships God and he's like, he gives his all. And he's known as a man who's after God's heart. And his avenue through which he would worship was music, right? And so as a worship pastor... We've already talked about how there's many avenues through which we can worship. Why is music uh, so powerful or so prominent to you? Like, why do you think that is in our culture? But I think it's all cultures, right? Like, the people walk through the Red Sea and Moses leads them. And then what do they do? They sing and rejoice and they dance. So what is, what is music that connects with the human soul? That's a great question, man. I don't even know if I have an answer for that. I feel like music is, like you said, you know, not just our culture, but it's the language that everyone speaks. It's a language that everyone connects to. You hear a song and it's like it reminds you of your high school days or music is very, 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 very powerful. Why that is, that's, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's a great question. But I know that God uses it. God uses it in amazing ways. A lot of people, you know, they might not remember a sermon as much as they're singing a song throughout the week. And so for me, if we're singing songs that are not theologically accurate or whatever, that's, that could be very dangerous. And I always think, man, we need to be very careful. As a pastor, how does that process look like? You know, you know, choosing worship music and choosing songs that are going to be theologically wholesome and, and rich. Like, is, is, that a, is there a lot of songs that you find these days you're putting to the side into the do not use folder? Unfortunately, Yes. I'm not like a crazy stickler, though. I know there's like that huge debate of reckless love and like, oh, how could we sing it? God's love's not reckless. And I mean, sometimes people get like a little bit crazy. I don't think people are in the congregation saying, wow, we're singing about God's like horrible love. I don't think anyone is understanding it that way. But I have two filters when I'm picking songs and the same filters when I'm writing songs. The first filter is the Bible. Is this theological? Is this something that I can find in Scripture? And then the second filter is my church family. And so when it comes to writing songs, go to the Bible. Is this accurate? And I think of my people. Can I teach my people this? Is this a song that they can understand who God is and what he's done for each one of the people in this room? And the same thing from choosing songs, too. You take it through that filter. Is this theologically correct? And 
ah, this sentence is a little bit weird. Is this going to cause confusion? Because they're trying to be extremely poetic or whatever, and it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, who are we talking about? And there's some songs where you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Even though they're trendy and everyone's doing them, I'd be okay with putting them onto the side and, you know, risking the, the thought of confusing people. Who would be some of the people that you would say are like kind of your, your inspirations when it comes to like worship and worship predominantly in, in music? Like where, where, do you, where does a lot of your inspiration come from? I mean, I look up to people. There's a lot of like worship leaders who have taught me so much. And so, I mean, the Bible, our church family, and just other leaders who have gone before me. I'm just trying to get mentored and trained and equipped to keep doing what I'm doing. And I always tell our team, make sure that we're always being mentored and make sure we're always mentoring someone. And so for me, I'm ahead of someone, but I'm also behind. So we need people that are in front of us and behind us. So what's that like for you? Yeah, for me, honestly, like, I think the Church of North America. So I've been writing a book and I haven't been telling a lot of people about this. What's this book called? I think it's going to be called Worship Hype. Mm. And it's the idea that we are just worshiping worship and the experience and the lights and the smoke and we're trying to have perfection. Everything has to be seamless and perfect. And the subtitle will be, they're coming to church hungry and leaving starving. Because if we put on a show and everything has to be seamless and perfect, people are generally coming because they want to encounter God and they're hungry. And then they leave and they missed it. And we missed offering it. And so in the book, one of the chapters is called Mentor and Be Mentored. And for me, it looks like I love putting people in positions at our church and giving them like authority in ministry and leadership, even though they're grade nine, grade 10, uh, they might lead worship and it might be, you know, not the best weekend that we've ever experienced. It might not be seamless or whatever, but that doesn't matter to me we're trying to create a culture where like we just want to train and equip and help people right well especially yeah especially as a pastor like the passage in ephesians what what are you meant to do is to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry it's not that we're supposed to do it all ourselves and i think you know i think right now i would ask the question what is the church you know especially in the in the realm of worship how is the church being impacted how has the church wavered from the truth and i think of the north american culture that we we find ourselves swimming in, and we are the Hollywood generation. And the church has at times gone to this part that you're saying is where it's like worship hype, like worship hype. It's all about the show. That's dangerous, man. It's so dangerous and so scary and honestly, like really, really gross. I read a book called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, and it talks about power in the church. And it talks about, you know, they they interview guys like Eugene Peterson, a woman named Marva Dawn, Chuck Swindoll, a guy named Jean Vanier, like these legends of the modern day faith who have just, they've done it well. And all of them unanimously say it's so often that in church culture, we choose the way of the dragon. We choose the way of building our own empire and our own power, our own influence, our own kind of kingdom. When Jesus, actually the son of God, chose to behave like a lamb. And so I'm curious, do you see people who are taking the way of the lamb? Like, I'm curious. Of course I have. And they're some of my biggest inspirations. Now, the interesting thing is not all of them are like they have the lights and the platform and the influence. Some of them are just small churches. Like, it's the ones that no one's really going to hear about. 
and they're doing amazing things for the gospel. There are people who do have a major platform who are very humble and who are training and equipping. Paul Balash is someone who I've, I've had the privilege to write with. He's a songwriter, worship leader, has written many songs that we sing in church. And he loves the mentoring, loves training, loves writing with younger people and spending time with younger people and encouraging the next generation. Like, very, very inspiring. Like, Lord, I pray I could be like that. And I don't have to wait until I'm older. I could just start now. Like, let's just start training the grade nines and the grade eights and the grade tens, like giving them opportunity. And I mean, there's there's many people that I've looked up to. Tim Hughes, another example of an amazing writer, amazing pastor and worship leader. And, and their ministries are like, they're just, they're doing amazing things for the kingdom because their hearts are focused on what's important. I did an interview with Tim Hughes uh, for a show that I have called Sharing the Road. And... But we were just talking about how the Church of North America is just, as we continue to seek perfection and seamless transitions and everything, like it's just, we're getting farther and farther away. And he just said, you know what, for him, when he was 18 years old or 16 years old, him and Martin Smith from Delirious and Matt Redman, they were all together in the same youth group. And Mike Pilavachi's like, hey, I want you guys to lead worship. He said, we led worship and guitars are out of tune and voices are horrible. And it was just a disaster. But... If we were seeking perfection like we are in today's culture, there is no room for the next Tim Hughes. There's no room for the next Matt Redman. If everything has to be absolutely perfect and churches are hiring professionals to do the work of the ministry, there's going to be no next generation of Matt Redmans and Tim Hughes and Martin Smiths. And it sounds like it's a competition of values, right? Like kingdom values versus individual values, right? It might be easy for you to say, or it might be alluring for you to say, oh, I'm the, the worship pastor of this church. I want worship to look perfect so it'll reflect well on my leadership and my decisions and my ability to make things look perfect. That's the, that's the Andrew Marcus kingdom value. Whereas the Jesus Christ kingdom value is, hey, we want to build the church. And obviously that's, that's Jesus. Jesus is going to be the one that builds his church. It's in the word. He will build the church. And so what, what things do we do that lets us be part of it, right? Like what kind of planting, what kind of watering, what kind of, you know, feeding. And ultimately God makes it grow, but how are we pouring into the next generation and elevating and giving other people opportunity rather than elevating ourselves? The passage that comes to mind is when Jesus says like, you, you want to exalt yourself, but the one who humbles himself, they will truly be exalted. Well, I just feel like sometimes people will get flack for, you know, I'd rather have a C minus service and have a young, young person trying to learn a position. Craig Rochelle said this, like, amazing. Like, if you give people tasks, you create followers. If you give people authority, you create leaders. So it's like giving people authority in ministry, even if they're young, old, whatever it is. If you're just giving tasks, hey, do this, do this, do that. Just followers that are following you around, just doing whatever you want. But I really believe, man, I want to give authority, give opportunity for people to just dive in. And it might not look like a smooth, awesome transition, perfection, whatever, but I feel like that's church. Why do you think people crave that that smooth transition? Like at least the perception of like modern day church culture is like, oh, like the worship experience. Oftentimes it's not even called a service anymore. It's a worship experience. Like, why are we so desperate for that? Why is there such a, you know, you said people are coming hungry, they leave starving. Like, why are, why are we so hungry for an experience? Well, I think the people who are coming, I mean, not everybody, but the people who are like, you know, non-believers walking to church for the first time, they're coming because they genuinely need help. They could be doing a million other things on a Sunday morning. 
but they're coming because they're desperate and they're interested and they're curious. And so I feel like a lot of people think, okay, we're going to put on a show for them and make it like presentable and like make it comparable to what they'd see at a concert or whatever. Like we want it, like we want them to be like really impressed. The reality is with our church budgets, no matter what we do, we will never impress. Like we can't, we can't compete with people who have millions of dollars in the bank for concerts. And so the reality is that's not even what they want. Like they're coming because they actually have a hole that's missing. Something's missing. They're broken. And only Jesus can fix that. And so I think the pressure on churches, like, oh, it needs to have a full band. It needs to look like this. It needs to sound like this. It needs to feel like this. It's all like I could have one person on a bass guitar and a grand piano. And if they're hungry for God and they lead, God could do an amazing thing in that service. It doesn't have to look and sound and feel a certain way. Now, I'm not trying to say like, oh, our services are horrible. We want to be our best. We want to be excellent. We want to be, because God deserves the best. Right, and that's the tension. And so, Yes, and that's the problem. It's just like we want to be excellent, and then we get so caught up in the perfectionism of it, we forget to think of the perfect one. We're just thinking of perfection. God's been teaching me a lot, to be honest, like, Churches before the one I'm at now, it's like no music stands. It has to look like this. It has to sound like that. And then I was in a church years ago where I turned my back to the congregation just for a moment to tell the drummer the next song. And then Monday morning comes and I go to the office and I get like yelled at for like 20 minutes about how you never turn your back to the congregation and never have your eyes closed so that you can see what's happening in the room and all these rules, quote unquote, that I put on myself. This is what I think it's supposed to be. And so I came to see a church, Coquitlam Alliance, and kind of started to implement some of these rules that I thought were, you know, they're important. And I'm realizing more and more these days, bro, that like none of these rules are like you look at Marty Sampson, an old worship leader from Hillsong. His eyes are closed literally the whole time. But when he leads worship, presence of God is massive. Kim Walker, her back is to the congregation about 98% of the time as she walks around. <laughs> Leads worship, presence of God is massive. Brian Johnson, Bethel worship. He's staring at the music stand literally the whole time, never looks up once. It's like he does not know a single note. I'm not bashing him. I'm just saying when he leads worship, presence of God is massive. And so it's like we thought it's supposed to look a certain way. But all that matters is if you come with a heart after God and you want to see his people encounter him, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Your eyes could be closed. You could be walking around the stage. You could be staring at your music stand. Like I'm learning this almost for the first time that uh, it's not what it looks like. It's it's the heart. So I think, you know, even as you've said that, that idea that like it, it has to look a certain way, it has to, and we get very legalistic at times when in, in the reality of things, like going back to David, is that David was a man after God's heart. And even when he was anointed by Samuel, Samuel said this, when he looks through all his brothers, and his brothers are strong and big, and, and it says this in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 16, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Big, strong, got all the right things. He's doing it right. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look upon him on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
And I think that piece is has to be critical for worship leaders. And I think, you know, as you lead worship, not you specifically, as people engage in worship, it's not a matter of, am I doing all the right things? It's a matter of the heart. The Lord is looking at the heart and not just like our emotions, but like the totality of who we are. And so, you know, I think this is a huge conversation of, of asking, who are we trying to please in worship, mm. in our worship services? At our young adults group at my church, one of our core values is audience of one. Our ultimate aim is to bring honor and glory to God. So he is our audience member. So when we do a service, when we serve in the community, when we hang out with friends, when we do that, he is our audience member. And it's like he's the only one we're trying to please. And I think that we are probably in a cultural perspective of, no, let's please people. Yeah, we have an audience of 1,300 or whatever it totally. is. Yeah, yeah. And that that is probably why some of the times, you know, you can have all, this is what's so fascinating. You can have all the right things and it still feels like there's something missing. Yes, and I was just going to tell you that actually. I've been at like a worship, say you go to a worship concert or you go somewhere and it looks a certain way, lights, haze, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, I just feel funny. Something just feels off. And then you can go to another place. It looks identical. Lights, smoke, haze, whatever. It was a Hillsong concert. And it's just like instantly you're just like, oh, my goodness, you're just blown away by the presence of God and you're worshiping. And I remember having lunch with some of those guys like Joel Houston and uh, some of these uh, guys from Hillsong. And someone asked them in this little like lunch Q&A thing, hey, like what do you what do you respond when people say, oh, the haze and the lights and everything is like really distracting? Like how do you respond to people? And he said, you know what, honestly, like our lighting guy and our guys who are doing production are passionately worshiping Jesus, passionately in the gifts that God's given them. And I'm like, you know what? Yes, I feel like I can tell, even though it looks identical to something else, I can tell the room is just different. I got a question. Here's my last question for you, Andrew. What would you say to somebody maybe listening um, right now or somebody who is in a local church context and they would say that the style of worship doesn't fit their need or it's not what they like. And so they're struggling with that because when they go to worship, they're having a hard time maybe feeling it or something like that. Or maybe they're a worship leader in a church and other people in their congregation are saying, you know, it needs, it's not the right worship. Oh, can you do these songs or not this song? What would you say to someone that came to you and said, you know, I'm just not really feeling it at my church with worship. What do you think I should do? It's a good question. I get that question from people. That's actually one of the chapters I've been writing about, and it's called the VIP pass. This is the reality. Certain people have a VIP pass to my soul, and certain people can bring correction to me. If I have someone who, you know, I don't know, they don't know me, they come and say, hey, the worship was horrible, or, you know, you, you did that song in a really bad way, or why don't you do this, why don't you do that? I'm like, well, do you have a VIP pass to my soul? Are you like someone that I that knows me really well and knows my heart? That, tr- that you trust. Yeah, so like if, if my senior pastor or anyone on my lead team said that, I would be like, okay, I'm listening. How can I get better? And so it's so important that we give certain people VIP passes. But the problem is everyone has musical opinions and musical preferences and musical styles. You're going to hear complaints literally all the time. Being a worship pastor is like a lose-lose situation. You're getting like attacked by someone about something that they didn't like. 
And so it's just like, this is the reality as far as its audience of one. And if your leaders are saying, hey, we see what you're doing and we love the direction you're going and you have your leadership, your family, your elders, your staff, your lead pastor saying yes, then you just, those are the people who have the VIP pass. If someone storms up and you don't know, they don't know you, they don't know your heart. I had a service once where like I shared this really intense spiritual attack Michelle and I had the night before church and it lasted all morning. We were screaming Jesus at the top of our lungs. We were like freaking out. We read scripture for four hours all morning. Like it was very, like a very demonic, like crazy dark experience at our house. And I came up and I didn't plan to share it with our church family, but at the 930 service, because it happened like four hours before, I said, hey, I just want to encourage us like this, like the, the battle we face is not against flesh and blood. Like there's this stuff that's going on. And, you know, we were singing, came to my rescue. I called, you answered, you came to my rescue. And I just said, you know what? Like, this is the reality. This happened to us literally four hours ago. We called, we were screaming for Jesus and he answered, he came to our rescue. And so I shared the story. And as we started singing the song, this has never happened to me before. I literally was scream crying. Like I started sobbing uncontrollably and I literally fell on my face and I couldn't even sing. And the whole congregation just kept singing for me. And like, you know, they led me in worship. And I just kept saying, Andrew, come on, like pull yourself together, pull yourself, like stop being so weak, stop like this. You know, like it was just the most authentic moment I've ever had on the platform. And I looked up at the congregation and there was people on their knees all across the room. And God used that moment in such a beautiful way. But I got an email like three or four days later. Oh, like I feel like it's so performance driven and you're just trying to like put on entertainment and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I I honestly have never been that authentic in my life. And I'm getting people saying, wow, you're just all about entertainment. Does that person who emailed me have a VIP pass to my soul? No. And so I'd tell a person who's a worship leader if you're getting the critiques and getting feedback that's always negative or whatever, are those people VIP? Like, or are they, do they even have tickets? Are they ticket holders? Or are they just random people that you don't even know? Find the people who are VIP, who have VIP passes to your soul and allow them to speak into your life. And for a congregation member, if the music's not your style and you can't engage with God, um, I'm thankful that engaging with God has nothing to do with the music. You know, just like seek him, pray for your teams, pray for your church and just seek him with all you got because it's that's then you're getting into the consumer approach again where you're coming and you need something to feel good when it's like, well, nothing that's happening on the platform is supposed to make you feel good. It's just really about where you're at and how you're connected to God, not what the worship leader can do for you, if that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, Andrew, it's been so good to be with you today. I mean, it's always a joy when we get to chat and talk through ministry and life. And it's clearly obvious that God is working in you and and working through you. So thanks for being with us today and sharing a little bit about your story and things that we can connect with you on. Thanks so much for having me, bro. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of In Doubt with Andrew Marcus. You can find Andrew Marcus on social media or you can go onto his website, andrewmarcusmusic.com and you can connect with him there. If In Doubt has encouraged you and you are passionate to help others grow in the truth, we want to welcome you to partner with us. As we continue to provide resources, we depend on the generosity and partnership of people just like you to help communicate the good news of Jesus to the world that needs him. Download our app and follow us for updates on social media. We would love to hear from you. 
Email us at info at indoubt.ca and stay connected with us for next week's episode as we talk with Imran Daniel and jump into the first episode of our new monthly series on world religions and spirituality. Thanks so much for listening this week and I hope that you join us next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.